0: Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks: The Changing of the Guard
1: I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers
0: I'm your co-host Andrea Parker and I'm your
2: better co-host Jim Staros. Oh really yeah that's <laughs> right I see I snatched it from you this time you always say you're better I'm gonna be better today
0: That's fine because we know you're not but we'll Ooh. let you have it. All
2: right. All right. Be like that. So
0: are you excited about this episode? Where we're going to talk to our new president and new vice president, Stacey David gates and Jackson Potter.
2: I know this is going to be great. Um, the first time we've had them on the show as they're in their new roles. So that'll be very cool.
0: It will be. So I know they have a lot to tell our members in reference to just their leadership style, what they're going to focus on in this new
2: administration. Yeah. So what are you getting ready for the new school year?
0: Yes. We only have a couple of days. When this airs, we will be back in school. At least the teachers will be.
2: That's right. So do you, you still feel nervous before school starts?
0: Yeah. I would say a little bit anxiety because, yeah. you know, there is a change of, of routine. I did do summer school this year. So okay. this will be the shortest summer break that I've ever had. But the summers are getting shorter and shorter. So I just came back from Savannah and they were saying the same thing. They're saying that um they a lot of their students went back at the end of July. But they'll be done around like mid-May. Now no proponents of this going back early, say, hey, we're not living in that agricultural society anymore. You're not helping your parents farm anymore. So why do you need like such, you know, August off? But I guess my argument or my rebuttal would be if you're still having that same time off, I think September is still the way to go because of the excessive heat. And I still think some CPS buildings do not have adequate air conditioning. So why put your students under so much duress if they don't have to, If especially if you're having that same amount of time off for the summer?
2: I agree with you. I mean, I think you know, as a high school teacher, I liked the, I liked the idea of we get to the semester breaks right at Christmas break. Sure. You know, so we can actually have a real break, but if you're going to start school in the summer, we need to get some air conditioning in those buildings. Mm -hmm. We need to get better ventilation in those buildings. That is correct. Some of these buildings like, you know, were built long time ago and they didn't have that kind of stuff. So this is sort of like what we're talking about today about social justice unionism and the whole idea that, we can do better. Just because things used to suck doesn't mean they have to suck now.
0: That's true. And as you all always hear, I guess, talk about, even though we have made a lot of gains. We have a long way to go. The fight is still not over. It, it's interesting.
2: So when I talk to some of the newer members, the ones specifically that have come in in the last four or five years, they think that what we've got now is regular. Sure. Right. You know, I don't blame them for this. They, they don't know the past. And it doesn't even make any sense. The fact that we had to wait all the way till 2012 to even get maternity leave. Like, what? That, what? Like, what? Yeah, that's true. That? You know, the idea that we're going to have a social worker and a nurse in every building like that, that should be regular. And we had to fight hard for that. And, you know, one other thing I think about is, you know, some of the people are super excited that we won that whole idea of the uh, elected school board. Which is great, but you know the point I always like to make is all that did is it won us the ability to fight. Before that, we couldn't even fight because we couldn't put anybody on the board. But we're still going to have those millionaires and billionaires that are going to be campaigning to run to be on the school board. So we're still going to have to fight really hard to get members that are going to be supportive of real policies and real social change to be on that school board. Otherwise, it's not going to be much different than it was before. So. That win downstate, which was awesome, only gives us the ability to start fighting. And that's where we are in a lot of things. We're just starting the real fight.
0: That's true. But what I am excited about because of our history as a union and our history of fighting, we do fight in unison. We do win. I know a lot of you teachers, especially for those who are new, and some of you who are veterans and seasoned, you probably think we're always fighting. I know I hear a lot about that as a mm-hmm. CPS teacher. You know, unfortunately, when I go out of town, Chicago has a reputation. It's not the best reputation like it was when I was Like <laughs> people get scared when they see me, they say I'm from Chicago. Yep. They they back up because they think I'm packing. Yep. But uh, so that's the reputation the reputation that Chicago has. And as a CPS teacher, um, we have a reputation like, oh, y'all about to fight again. What, what y'all fight? What y'all going to fight for now? What y'all going to be on the news for now? Uh, and because a lot of um, everyday Chicagoans don't understand maybe the everyday struggle of a teacher, what we're fighting for. And that how we are, a lot of times, we are an offensive fighter. We see an issue and we fight for our students and we don't want to be on the defensive because by that time, we figure out it's too late. So I think to be a teacher... For CPS or to be a part of the union e. is to fight. You got to roll up your sleeves when you sign on the dial line. And you become a CPS teacher. You're basically what you're saying is you're going to be an advocate and a fighter for our students, and that's a good thing to be because we need our students need somebody to fight for them. And I'm okay with being a fighter.
2: I completely agree. And being in CTU means you're never alone. So anything that comes up, there's somebody that's there to support that's you. That's right. To lift They're gonna up, jump in to have your back. That's right. Oh. Is that, that how you fight, Miss Parker? <laughs> I wish, I wish, I wish our, our listeners could see that.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, they can. That, that was no tough. Good. She got
2: a couple couple left jabs in there. <laughs> right. a hook. That was nice. Uppercut. I like that. Yeah. Ooh, nice. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's get to our guests who are going to be talking about social justice unionism in the new wave of what's going to be happening in CTU.
0: Let's do it, shall we? We shall.
2: All right, so we're back now with our new president and new vice president, new president Stacey Davis Gates and new vice president Jackson Potter of the CTU. How are you guys doing today? Our president is on
1: mute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing well. Um, obviously not paying attention to the mute button. And happy to see y'all and talk to you all.
0: Likewise, happy to see you all as well. Thank you all for being on the podcast. I know that you all have extremely busy schedules. So we are thankful that you carved out some time out of your schedule to speak with us today. So let's go straight into it, shall we? So this first question is for you, Stacey. Uh, You went from a rank and file high school teacher with Chicago Public Schools to working on the CTU's legislative committee to being a Chicago Teachers Union vice president. And now you're the president that represents educators from the third largest school district in the United States. Tell us, how do you feel about leading this charge? Um, I am extraordinarily humbled
1: and blessed to have an opportunity um, to use my voice, to use my perspective, to use, you know, everything that I received um, from God to push for equity, to push for justice and to do it within a profession that is profoundly one of the most important institutions in our world. Um, So I am extremely humbled by this opportunity, but I won't be timid either, right? We know (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's a three-year term and all of the institutions, individuals have had hundreds of years to cement the inequity embedded in our educational system. Um, They've had hundreds of years to um, deprioritize the needs of everyone except for wealthy white men. And so I feel like we got a lot to catch up to. And so while I am humbled, I also know that there is an expectation and I intend to be accountable.
2: Nice. Amen. And I, I, know, I know, Jackson, you, you had kind of an interesting uh, path to get here as well. You were a teacher for a while and you were at the union, then you were back to a teacher and then you're back at the union. So what's, what's that all like? I think
3: it's about, you know, continuing our commitment to ensure the classroom centers our work. It's a you know, wonderful, powerful, transformative space, and young people are incredible and amazing, and they have mm-hmm. tremendous potential, particularly if we contribute and invest in their lives. And so there's a, a way in which there's a symbiotic relationship between the union and the classroom, and so we have to maintain that connection. Right. Mm-hmm. I totally agree.
0: Uh, over the past 12 years, CCU has made history and a lot of gains uh, for our members, students and families, such as mandatory, um, less mandatory testing for students, more teacher autonomy in the classroom, more resources for our homeless student population. We won historic contract in 2019 after 11-day strike, and we won one of the best safety agreements in our country True. after COVID-19 shut down. What's next and what are a couple of priorities that you would like to accomplish during your time in office?
1: I feel like the first 12 years were spent building the infrastructure to have the platform to begin to push for the type of school day our students need. If our students are not engaged and captivated by what the school community has to offer, They don't have the best experience inside the school community, which means that the workers in the school community also are not having a good experience. Um, A classroom that is one of the most what symbiotic relationships you can ever have. Right. And so what we have to do is give children what they need. So a better school day. It looks like extracurricular activities. It looks like fine arts. It looks like student government. It looks like debate. Um, It looks like athletics, right? It also looks like for educators, an opportunity to perfect and practice pedagogies with our colleagues. So that means that we need to have more time preparing to offer the education to our students, not Sunday nights at our dining room table, but inside of our school community and um, collaboration with our colleagues, um, we are talking about the students we share, the types of methodologies we've found to work well with our students. But you can't do that in passing. It has to be intentional time spent with each other. So we need preparation time and shared preparation time at that. We are going to have to continue to implement smaller class sizes across the city, right? Because our children, their needs um, in Chicago, right? We can talk about the violence. We can talk about the segregation and how that marginalizes the lives of many of the students that attend our school communities. It takes a lot to try and undo all of that violence, right? Then on top of that violence, you have the pandemic. That is still being violent. And then on top of that, you have um, inflation that's pretty violent. Right. So you have to think about how do you have children in your school communities and how do you layer the supports that they need? So we need smaller class sizes and we need more uh, trained adults in the mental health space. We need more social workers and counselors. We need nurses, right? We won the nurses and the social workers and we'll have one in each school in 2024. But who knew we would need more, right? So that's a part of it. I could go on, but I want my brother to say a few things. So I'll stop there.
3: I was with Stacy at a PSRP event the other day. You know, I told this joke about how a principal went up to a teacher and a paraprofessional and said, Really appreciate you all. Have a great day. And they said, okay, and went home, you know, to have their great day. <laughs> and and part of the 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 joke is that we have bad bosses because we have mm-hmm. a bad system. And so even when you have good people trying to do good work in administrative positions, if they're not provided with the resources, the power, the you know, willingness to collaborate with teachers and educators in the building, then it, it doesn't work as well as it should. And so, you know, to Stacy's point, we need fully funded athletics. And so, we went, you know, and toured schools in the spring, and we heard from a lot of coaches who would say, "We're, you know, we're bleeding our coaching staff to the suburbs because you go to Trier or you go to Stevenson and you or Schaumburg, and suddenly there's this miracle that happens." where you've got, you know, first class, uh, first rate, you know, track and field, you got all the coaches and assistant coaches getting stipends that are commensurate with the time they're putting in. You've got athletic directors that that's it in in all these big high schools and middle schools. That's all they do is athletics to control and oversee, you know, really robust programs. Uh, They have paramedics that are paid, you know, to be on the field uh, and trainers to help you know, deal with that. And so what we've got is a separate and unequal system where the kids in New Trier, who are the whitest and wealthiest, get double what our students receive, Black and Latinx, overwhelmingly low income. And our students actually require double to address the historic neglect and racism that has led to the divestment. And so, you know, I think Stacey and I have talked about like a, we're in a selective enrollment city where, you know, you got Gold Coast, and then Englewood, and there's a 30 year delta in life expectancy. And so we want our schools to be places to address those inequities and to redress them. Part of that is asserting schools do not belong to principals, they belong to our communities.
2: That's right. You know, and that kind of brings us to the next thing I wanted to talk about. You guys were part of a visionary team from the very beginning who saw how CTU could be a social justice union, not just focused on the bread and butter issues that normally unions and unions are looking at. Maybe you can talk for a minute about why the need for social justice in a teacher's union, and how has that transformed our members um, who have benefited from this?
1: So I think that the term bread and butter is so limiting and small and marginal, because if you think about bread and butter, you're only eating that before the salad or the soup course comes. You're, you're only fair. eating, you know, and so that's all you get to have.
2: <laughs> yeah, good mm-hmm. point. Good point.
1: Just think of the psychology behind people who only call for the thing at the dinner table that's supposed to just keep your mouth quiet and your tummy satiated, right? Mm. That's nothing because that's a boss term. Someone brought the boss's term into the labor movement and tried to tell us that that's the thing that we need to get. So I want to understand the history of that term. I'm going to Google that and start a process (laughs) (laughs) because I just I just think, look, I love food. And if you only offer him bread and butter, that's not that that's not a <laughs> meal. That
2: is not a meal.
1: You don't want me with my feet under your table. So, you know, just think about that for a minute. But um pivoting from what I think is um, small into something that is both bigger and and necessary is this whole concept of what we do in this city. When you sign up to become a Chicago public school worker, you've signed up to become a Chicago resident. You are signing up to be an investor in the common good, not just because of some missionary perspective, but because of your self-interest. You live here. You are raising your family here. Right? Think about our educators who are parents, majority. So they said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a Chicago public schools educator. Okay. That's a job, but you're also saying I'm going to have a Chicago zip code and I'm going to live in a neighborhood that is in a ward, right? And I'm going to experience Chicago and ways in which many of my students and their families experience Chicago. And here's the other thing, because of segregation, perhaps you're experiencing none of that until you walk into your classroom. And you have to experience it through the lens, the perspective, the experience, the trauma, the triggers, the behavioral outbursts, the lack of homework, the testing scores, the lack of... You're going to experience Chicago. And so our members have signed up to do that. So let's name it, let's identify it. Let's stop like walking around it like everyone gets it. We have a bigger stake in how this city is situated. Who wins and who loses? Because it turns out that even if our members are on the winning side of the selective enrollment of this city, they might be on the losing side of the selective enrollment as a worker. They're experiencing this city, which is why it's important that their union represents that experience, which is why it's important that our union has something to say about the lack of affordable housing in this city. Or how about this thing? The fact that you kicked people out of the public housing, you made promises that you knew you were lying about when you were making them, and then you say, I'm going to give you a school, but I'm going to put it on your land. <laughs> <Think> <laughs>
2: right.
1: of, you know, So you think about that, but don't be mad at the Chicago Teachers Union when we say, of course, we want new schools, right? You have schools with uh, paint peeling from the ceiling. You have schools with ceilings imploding on the people in the building. So of course, we want new facilities. Green facilities. That's what we want. And we don't want it on housing that the families we serve were supposed to live. Again, go back to that statement, bread and butter. See how they limit us? See how the power structure, not they, how the power structure that benefits from the limitations of others, that's how they limit our imagination, right? Instead of saying you can have housing and a school, they said pick
0: one. Jackson, did you want to add?
3: Sure. I, I actually think Stacy's um, bread and butter reference, it might, might come from Mother Jones uh, back in the late 1800s. She said, you know, the labor aristocracy was too busy hanging out with powerful people in boardrooms and banquet halls when we need to be in the streets with martyrs and saints, right? And I and I think that speaks to what Stacy's describing. You know, we both taught at Englewood High School, which was targeted and underfunded. And it was an all-Black school that didn't have the type of resources to meet the needs that students showed up with every day. And, you know, instead of supporting the school adequately, um, they were deciding to close it. And that led to this whole, you know, school closures, which came at the tail end of the CHA plan for transformation that was the greatest loss of public housing in the country's history. So that displacement, you know, that we've lost 70,000 students in the last 10 years, and they're overwhelmingly black and brown, you know, tells us that this divestment hasn't stopped. We, I think we've limited it. We've stopped them from you know, having a wholesale restructuring of the city, but we have a long ways to go. And if we don't address it more substantively, we're in trouble. Like, so in some ways, your wages, salary, benefits, it's intimately linked to this question of, well, who's in your classroom? Because if if that's a shrinking population, if families aren't stabilized, if they don't have what they need, then you're not going to have a job that allows you to teach those students either
1: why do we have to fight so hard? And what I've taken to is history and how arrogant we are to believe that since 2010, we can change everything that's been happening for centuries. I get it. We are right about it, right? We are right about the injustice of what we Um, have to deal with in our school communities where there is probably a school resource officer there, but not a social worker, or that the children who come into our school communities don't get much agency in how it works out for them, but none of us are there if they're not there. So what other institution deprioritizes the voices of those that make it possible for you to be there? That's rhetorical, because I'm sure we could find more. The very nature of the work we do is predicated on the black and brown bodies that come into that building. And they are the most deprioritized voice, them and their families, and this whole milieu. That's why I identify myself as a mother, because I do know how disempowering it feels to be. Um, a parent in the Chicago public schools, that's why an elected school board is important, right? Because it at least gives me a shot to say something about something. But more importantly for our union is going to mean that the boldness in which we enter our spaces with, we're going to have to expand that footprint because now we do have an elected school board. Like we can't retreat because we won the thing. Actually, we have to accelerate and increase our footprint because the thing now is that in 2024, whoever the mayor is in 2024 will get to appoint 11 people. And then we will, along with this entire city, put forth an idea about who the other team should be, which is, I think, too, honestly, why 2023 is important. Because that individual will still be your boss and Lori Lightfoot has been a failure. And it's contemptible. The way in which she's behaved with people who are invested civic partners, people who are raising their children in the city, people who labor in the city. Imagine treating people that you need as poorly as she's treated us, right? And all we wanted was a nurse and a social worker, a HEPA filter even, access to vaccines for ourselves, our families, our students and their families, you know, common good things, things that we should be, you know, partnered on. That said, I think, um, Chicago being what it is, is forcing us to have a voice in 23 and 24 in ways that will be deeply connected to how our next contract fight is projected and how the next contract
0: is won. Does that make sense? Definitely. Definitely makes sense. So we will be remiss not to mention your predecessors. Jesse Sharkey and the late Karen Lewis, and they really fought to have a social justice union. And many would say you both have some large shoes to fill. So, what is something that you gleaned from their leadership, and that you may continue to use in your current administration?
3: I think there's a lot of continuity. You know, I, I was Karen's chief of staff. Uh, Stacy was her political director. Then, you know, Stacy served with Jesse as his vice president. So we see this as a process of putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? And it's been a 10-year marathon because they were trying to dismantle the system. They were trying to place a New Orleans model in Chicago where there was full-fledged privatization in the works. And we stopped them by confronting it head on. And it it, it took a lot, right? They wanted to eviscerate our contract. They threatened 2,000 layoffs if we didn't give them our 4% raise. And then they took the raise anyway in 2010. They passed legislation to make it uh, what they thought would be virtually impossible to go on strike. And then we surpassed that obstacle, right? So we've had obstacles all along the path. And then as you referenced, Parker, the 2019 historic agreement, that wasn't just defense like it was in 2012 when we went on strike for the first time in a quarter century. That was about actually adding things that we've never had before. I think we can see where this is headed, right? The trajectory. When I was a kindergartner in CPS, I went into all the selective schools, never had a full-time nurse or social worker. So we're actually like creating transformative contributions that have never been available to CPS students in the past by virtue of our advocacy and our fight. A new study just came out from Harvard, that shows economic connectedness is actually the best predictor of how do you address poverty, How do you enhance mobility for um, you know low income students and communities? And they found this Harvard study found like selective enrollment schools, IB programs actually contribute to the divide between rich and poor, because you're separating out, wealthier students from more low income. And instead of living together, working together, collaborating, learning from one another, building lifelong friendships that actually share the economic pie, we've created a society where, you know, you're locked in. Um, And so, you know, Parker, you know this. We've had students that we've shared, you at the elementary level, me at the high school, and then they get divvied up into selective programs. And then you can see there's this economic shift where students who have more resources are getting more programming. So we've got to change that. We, we've got to address that. So these are systemic issues that, you know, Stacy and I are committed to. They're thorny, right? Because we have members working in all of these places. But if we don't have this conversation, we're not going to have that kind of justice. Uh, we're not going to address the racial disparities that we all know is ultimately necessary for building the school Chicago students deserve.
1: Look, Jackson and I cannot fill anyone's shoes but ours. We are going to be appreciative, even reverent about the sacrifice of leadership Karen and Jesse provided for our movement in this city forever. Their leadership is how we get to the point where we can even talk about having a band in an elementary school. Think about how lowball everything was that we couldn't think about a saxophone and a drum set in an elementary school. They've lifted us from sub-zero and we're literally at zero right now. I want to be clear about what it is and what it ain't. Let's acknowledge where we were and let's be clear about where we exist currently. And our work in this iteration of leadership is to get us beyond zero. We have to remake public schools in Chicago, but we can't do that without remaking neighborhoods in Chicago. Our schools are microcosms. So when Jackson talks about the disparities between neighborhoods, what he's talking about is also the disparities between school communities, the disparities between the resources that are offered at schools. And it is not accidental. It is very much a part of the public policy that gives every eighth grader in the city the hope that they'll make it to maybe five high schools. How sick of a game is it that we put 13 and 14-year-old children through a Hunger Games and then label them eligible or ineligible. We are setting them up to tolerate spaces like Roseland that doesn't even have a train that comes out there. Mm
3: -hmm. We are setting Mm
1: -hmm. them up to expect to be ineligible and to be okay with it. So our work is to protect, nurture, support, the children that come inside of our school communities, but they come from somewhere. And we cannot ignore that. And we will fight to change that. And we'll do it with them, their families. We'll do it with community folks. I'll end on this. Our wonderful leaders at Washington High School, Chuck and Lauren, they demonstrated the type of unionism that Karen and Jesse brought forth. They said that you can be a resident you can be a compassionate partner, you can be a leader, you can be a voice, you can be an educator, you can be all things to those who need them if you do it in coalition and with love. And so we're going to continue doing that work.
2: So in that light, what could what can rank and file members do to get involved and help support you guys in your vision as the new leaders of CTU?
3: I think we are going to need to really rebuild some of our committee structures and align those to the work ahead. So when we think about the calendar, we've got municipal elections. The primary is in February, right? Like not even months from now. And the mayor is going to pick our bosses. And, in, you know, until we get an elected school board, and really, we, we don't get a fully elected one to 2026. Uh, so there's a critical decision and choice and set of activities we're going to have to engage in to determine who's the next mayor because they control the school system. And if we can have somebody who is even remotely responsive, concerned and acknowledges some of our perspective and positions, you know, that makes a world of difference in our daily lives. Like, just think about a principal who is targeting people unfairly, and how miserable of a, a, a experience that is for our members every day going into those classrooms. Um, you know, it's almost like your classroom is a refuge. You don't want to leave. You don't want to walk into the hallway. And that's not acceptable. And so we, we've got to deal with that. But if You have such a toxic leader at the top who conveys that Matt Trumpian management style. You know that's not going to work. So we've got to handle that, and members are going to have to get involved in that. And that also means we're going to have to lift up the issue. So if there's Airmark that's maintaining filthy and unsanitary conditions in a school, we need to blow that up on Twitter. We need to you know coalesce and uh, hit them hard at board meetings. If our, our our neurodiverse students aren't getting their sped services, then You know, we need to make sure that there's compensatory services. There's accountability that we got, you know, lawyers and community allies involved. If we're not having safe and and healthy conditions around COVID mitigation, that needs to get raised. Uh, The facilities and green schools campaign, you know, we need new HVAC systems. We need solar panels on our buildings. I think we can even provide residential electricity for free in the surrounding households. Like, we should be doing this work. There's money for it. But, um, you know, power concedes nothing without a demand. So I believe, you know, getting involved in the housing committee to make sure our our homeless students are housed, getting involved in the environmental justice committee to put those panels uh, and our HVAC systems in place, you know, getting involved in our testing committee to make sure we're, you know, being able to teach and not just test. Um, You know, there's so many different things that we can do together for Align and Evolve, and then lift up the voices of educators in buildings, expose those conditions, rectify them, um, and then elect a mayor who will do the same, and then elect the school board that will do the same the following year, and then win a contract that will, you know, address those things more fully in 24 as well. So that's, you know, the arc of our work, and it's really going to require all of us.
1: Members have to see themselves as powerful. They have to see themselves as worthy of living in a society where people have. We have to begin to transform our thought process and paradigm for what we think this is and what it ain't. And I underscore ain't. Sorry, English teachers, but I do underscore because I I, I just think we have to we have to build new frames and place new expectations inside those frames. Predicated under we deserve
0: because we are powerful.
3: That's right. I
0: like that. Great way to end it. So, thank you all so much for coming to the podcast today. We really appreciate yeah, you your insight. We look forward to uh, what your leadership is going to bring to our 25,000 strong union members, uh, students, and their Bro, families. We more than 25,000. I on. was more now. Yes,
1: ma'am. <laughs> Come through, 2019
3: contract. <laughs>
0: Well, how many we got, Stacey? I will always say nearly 30,000. Okay, nearly 30,000. Good. Ooh. That's even better. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. So thank you all again for being here. We appreciate you. Again, we look forward to your leadership of 30,000, nearly 30,000 strong <laughs> members, students, and families. And well, again, we just we look forward to what's to come because we know with whatever coming, what battle we face, we're going to win.
3: There we go. Thank you Thanks, all. guys. Thank you both. And, you know, we're we're confident with the celebrity duo. With Jim oh, wow. And Parker, like, you know, we're going to get that message out. So appreciate you both. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
2: Well, thanks for listening to another episode of CTU Speaks, where we got to talk to Stacey Davis Gates and Jackson Potter, the new leaders of CTU. And they told us a little bit about where we're headed with social justice unionism and the direction that we're going to be taking for the next three years of their leadership.
0: Yes, very exciting, insightful conversation.
2: Well, where where can members get us if they need to talk to us about this or some other issue?
0: The fastest way to get us is definitely to call us at 312-467-8888. Again, you can call CTU Speaks at 312-467-8888. If you want to write instead of speak, please feel free to email us at CTU speaks at ctulocal1.org, and if you want to listen to any past podcast, we are available at all your podcasting platforms.
2: That is correct, including one called Podbean, which I didn't even know was a thing. And just like we talked about with our leaders, if you want to get involved in what's going on here at CTU, be a little more involved on the day-to-day, and maybe you got some issues that you want to push forward, you can also join us on our any of our committees, which is really where most of the work at CTU is done. You can find that at ctulocal1.org slash committee. And just apply there. And we probably got 30, 35 different committees and uh, find something that would appeal to you.
0: Definitely. And don't forget this committee that the podcast mm-hmm. has come out of, which is the Communications Public Relations Committee, in which I, Andrea Parker, chair. So again, thank you so much for listening to this episode again of CTU Speaks, Changing of the Guard, where we only speak what matter. See you next time.
3: Thank you, Yes.